0: Good morning. Good morning, the Lord be with you, and also with you. Welcome to Bible study here at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, Missouri. Missouri. Uh, my name is Jeff Kloa, I teach New Testament at Concordia Seminary, and we continue our study of the book of Acts uh, today in chapter 2, right at the end of chapter 2, and the description of the first church uh, right after the day of Pentecost. So our uh, opening prayer will be a prayer from the church from the hymnal, Uh, Let's bow our heads. Merciful God, we humbly implore you to cast the bright beams of your light upon your church, that we, being instructed by the doctrine of the blessed apostles, may walk in the light of your truth and finally attain to the light of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, uh, before we start, just a note, and I'll say more at the end, but... uh, uh, some of you may have heard, uh, I am leaving Concordia Seminary and uh, taking a position uh, with the Museum of the Bible in uh, Oklahoma City, a uh, bit of a surprise to me and uh, probably to a lot of people. But but um, uh, I'll say more about that at the end here and uh, what that's all about, maybe after we go off air so you can ask some questions and and uh, see what that's all about. So. So I will be here today and next week, and then after uh, next week, uh, Pastor Thomas and Pastor Smith will, will uh, uh, pull some things together and keep this class going and, and then sort out the longer-term things uh, from there. So, so keep coming back, uh, 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 but uh, I'll be gone after next week for this Bible study. So, <clears throat> uh, but the word remains, so we'll keep reading the Bible, all right? So Acts chapter 2 uh, is a, a really fascinating passage for a number of reasons. It's, it, it probably is, apart from the day of Pentecost itself, uh, probably the most familiar and most quoted passage, you know, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread and prayer, right, these sort of four uh, corners or pillars of the church uh, is how they're often described. But there's, uh, there's kind of a lot going on here that's worth uh, taking a little time on and reflecting a bit on what was going on here just days after the gift of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. You know, why were they doing that uh, here in these first weeks of the history of the church? And how does that relate to what we do today? What, is it, what does it mean to be a 21st century church? How does this passage help us understand that? Uh, what's similar, what's different, right? Always an interesting kind of question. Uh, it's all the more prominent in our day and age, I think, for for a couple of reasons. Uh, as you know, uh, the church is not the most popular organization in the world these days. Uh, this is a Newsweek uh, article, well, cover story. I guess it's five years ago now, but you got your uh, your hipster Jesus going on there, right, with his denim and his uh, his check shirt, I guess, Kind of like I have on today, um, but here's the article. Forget the church, follow Jesus. Right? Have you heard similar sentiments? Mm-hmm. People like Jesus, but they don't really like the church, which is an interesting challenge for us who are who are trying to serve and uh, 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 have the church flourish. Uh, Mario Cuomo, governor of New York State, um, interesting character, but, but he uh, went on a rant, this is a couple of years ago now, uh, in an uh, essay. He uh, said a lot of things, a couple of quotes. If the church were my religion, I would have given it up a long time ago. All right. Or another quote from Cuomo, whoops, sorry. Uh, Christ is my religion, the church is not. Right. I mean, you've, you've heard this, right? Jesus is good, church not. Some Christians are good, some not, but the church in general uh, not a popular organization. Uh, And people usually trot out a whole host of uh, atrocities or failures of the church in the past and the present as evidence that that the church has kind of lost its way. So a text like this uh, helps us reflect a bit on uh, what is actually the church Uh, from the beginning? What was it Established to do what were what were its characteristics, uh, what were its activities, and and how does that shape and inform uh, who we are today as God's people? So let me read through the text, forty-two through forty-seven, and then we'll we'll pick up on a few uh, observations as we go through. Uh, so, and, and I want you to to pick up on when I read through this the number of. Um, well, they're imperfect tenses in Greek, meaning they denote continuous activity. Okay? So I'm going to translate those uh, kind of intentionally to reflect that continuous activity. So verse 42 of Acts 2. They were, uh, let's say, persevering in the teaching of the apostles and in the, and I'm not going to translate it right now, in the koinonia, in the usually translated fellowship, in the breaking of the bread, and in the prayers. Fear remained on all people, or fear kept being, you might say, on all the people, and many wonders and signs kept being done by the apostles. All those who were believing were at the same place, and they kept having all things in common. And their possessions and their property, they kept selling and kept dividing the things to all, just as whatever need they were having. Verse 46, daily they were, uh, uh, sorry, daily they both continued with one accord at the temple And breaking the uh, bread at the homes, they received their food with joy and uh, simpleness of heart, praising God and having the favor of the whole people. But the Lord added those being saved daily at that place. So notice as you read through that, there's all these activities, but what's stressed again and again and again, how this kept happening, kept happening, kept happening. Uh, and and uh, they had a relationship together that was defined uh, by what they had heard and was reflected in a, well, in a pretty unique way of being church together. Uh, so you might say there's uh, both a, uh, a new kind of people, they had a different way of thinking, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching rather than exclusively to the Old Testament, or to the traditions of the elders, right, which Jesus was constantly debating uh, with the, the teachers about. There's this new idea, but there's also this new kind of living. They're, they're not only going to the temple, but they're meeting together in their homes, which is kind of a new thing. And they're, they're sharing their possessions with those who are in need, and they're, they're praying. And we see examples of that throughout the book. Uh, uh, so there's, there's a new way of being a group of people together that's defined by the teaching. So one of, I think one of our uh, challenges in our present day is you know, we, we, we have the teaching down pretty well. We know what the teaching is, right? And here on the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we're you know, reminding ourselves of, of the teaching and how important that is, and, and indeed it is. What's harder is what does that look like in any given setting? What does it look like to reflect that teaching as the people of God uh, together Uh, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year? What does that look like in our day and age? The two key themes that keep coming up here in this section and uh, really throughout the rest of the book are are two things. First, that they do this together. You don't have uh, people uh, being baptized and coming to faith and then going off on their own and being by themselves. That does not happen. Uh, uh, when people come to faith, they are gathered and they continue to meet. Individually, corporately, they're gathered into this, into this group. Uh, this constant theme of being together, uh, both locally in any given city and uh, across the Mediterranean, where they have these congregations that are supporting each other, praying for each other, encouraging each other, teaching each other. Uh, There's this uh, togetherness, this this fellowship that's both local and global uh, consistently throughout the book of Acts. The second uh, key characteristic is that it is enduring. It is not a one-off kind of thing again. It's not a, uh, hey, I'm going to hang out with you today, but tomorrow I'm not. Uh, It's a continuous activity uh, which, as we'll see, uh, even today yet, Looks different at different times and in different places. Uh, here in Jerusalem in uh, in um, uh, 30 A.D., they are uh, sharing things in common and, and they have this sort of a, uh, um, you know social, uh, uh, really financial uh, support for one another. Uh, when you get to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, they don't do that. They they have a different setup. So uh, the, the specific activities are not what's key. It's how do they put the, the notion, the, the teaching, that Jesus is Lord and he's gathered his people into him, how do you put that into practice in the different places? It's a together thing, it's an enduring thing, but it looks different ways in different places, even, even down to our own day, as we'll reflect on. So any, any quick observations on that together and enduring? I mean, I, I, should, I should have probably put a third point up there. And, and of course, all of this begins and ends with the confession that Jesus is Lord. I'm taking that as a given, right? Uh, uh, so in verse 41, repent to be baptized, or 40, uh, uh, or whoever that was, uh, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, you will receive the Spirit. That's foundational. Uh, but once that happens, uh, what does the church look like? Well, they're together. And it's an enduring relationship. Yeah, but
1: uh, I, I've always wondered about that. You know, Paul going around in a certain city, he gathers a bunch of people, preaches the gospel, they come to faith, and then he leaves. Yeah. And the question is, oh, how did this sustain itself? Yeah. And what you're saying is, it was the togetherness linked to the, it, which kind of made it enduring. As they gathered together, mm-hmm. they something of the holy spirit even though they weren't the teachers i guess paul tried to teach them many yeah. things but i mean they, they didn't have the background paul didn't yet the church endured.
0: endured exactly yeah and you can tell uh we saw this a little bit in philippians uh but you see it more specifically in the pastoral epistles and in first second timothy and titus uh and and uh throughout the book of acts it's not just paul kind of this you know lone ranger going out and you know doing his stuff and but he's got a he's got sort of this group of people this network of co-workers and he goes somewhere he leaves somebody behind uh, uh he goes somewhere else he writes letters back he sends somebody else over remember in Philippians he's sending Timothy back to Philippi right so Timothy's kind of his, uh uh you know ace in the hole if there's a problem kind of thing uh uh, so, But that's, that's the key point, this, this being together is a, is a physical thing, sort of on a weekly basis, but also uh, more broadly on a regular basis with these connections between the congregations uh, in different cities regularly. Uh, so the, the together, togetherness locally is also a togetherness sort of globally, and it's reflected in, in just people relationships, right? They didn't have the internet back then, so people actually had to show up, right? Now you just do it on Facebook, right? I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. But there is, I mean, and that's a, a key point that I think we should look at. You know, uh, people gathering together is pretty fundamental uh, to what it means to be church. And that's, that's a, a key challenge for us in our, uh, in our <clears throat> social media uh, context. Well, <clears throat> verse 42 Let me just kind of read through this list again. Uh, They were, excuse me, persevering. um, I think your translation might say devoted, something like that. Uh, But pros there's a sort of continuing uh, idea toward that, um, movement idea. Uh, uh, Persevering in the teaching of the apostles, uh, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Uh, now, it's easy to just stop there and say, here's the definition of church, right? And, and what specifically do each of these entail, and how does that relate to our understanding of church today? Um, what, I, what I want to avoid is being overly specific and saying, well, here's what apostles' teaching is, and be done with it. Here's what fellowship is, and be done with it. Uh, because the very next several verses sort of explain or amplify uh, these four words and as I said earlier, they, they, um, uh, uh, they get reflected in different ways throughout the book of Acts. So uh, breaking of bread looks different in different places. Uh, um, the prayers are different in different places depending on the context. But you could at least say this much. Uh, if you have a group of people that is not following apostolic teaching, then, then they're not going to be church, right? That's sort of a basic... <laughs> Right, fundamental thing. Uh, the apostolic teaching about Jesus, uh, the fulfillment of the promises of God in Jesus, his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and salvation in him. If you don't have that, kind of not church, right? Uh, if you're not caring for one another as the body of Christ, right? however you define koinonia, well then something's not right. It's not really church if there's not a fellowship uh, that is mutually supportive in the faith and in life. Uh, if you're not breaking bread, which, as you'll see, I think refers both to the celebration of the Lord's Supper and to uh, common meals, every, everyday sorts of meals. Uh, it's related to the koinonia uh, point. Uh, but if you're not gathering around the supper and uh, regular fellowship with one another, something's not right. And if you're not praying for others, and that's what prayer means in this case, uh, as we'll see, if you're not praying for others, uh, pretty much not church, right? So it might be, even if you can't say, you know, when it says prayer, here's the three things you do, and then you tick it off the list and you're, you're okay, that's really not the best way to do it. Maybe a helpful way to say it is, um, uh, if you're not involved in these activities, all reflective of the work of Christ, then something's not happening right. It's a bit diagnostic in that sense. Uh, and it might be helpful to talk through a little bit. I mean, it's, it's a challenge in our context today where uh, uh, there's all kinds of groups that claim to be following Jesus, but you know, don't necessarily put too much uh, uh, attention on the scriptures. It's a challenge. Uh, churches that uh, don't, Pray. <laughs> I mean, I hate to say it, but, but uh, um, I know it's sometimes a bit long in the service, or it seems like it's a rattling off a bunch of names, but it's a fundamental activity of the church to bring the needs of people before the creator and sustainer of the world so that he can provide for their needs and, and sustain them and act on their behalf. It's fundamental uh, that, that this group of people, among whom and through whom God is now working, that they are involved in that ministry of prayer for others, right? So, in some ways, it might be helpful to see these more as a bit diagnostic. If if one of these is lacking, then then something's not right. Uh, even if you know the teaching of the apostles, you can't click on that and get the six or twelve or forty-two things that that defines or, or would be in that list. Does that make sense? Uh, it, it gives a, a broad base. And then these get uh, clarified and amplified as you go throughout the book and really throughout the rest of the New Testament. Right. So, again, the, 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 the challenge is what, is what is specific about what is described in 42 to 47, what is specific to Jerusalem in the first century, and what is uh, universal for the church for the last 2,000 years, right? So, so here's, uh, you know, they, they met together in their homes, broke bread in their homes, and gathered at the temple for prayer, right? Well, here's, you know, a model of what homes in lower Jerusalem would have looked like in the first century. Uh, pick, pick any one of those, and, and you might randomly hit upon something that looked like the house that they were meeting in, or one of the houses that they were meeting in. How much does that look like St. Paul's Lutheran Church on the corner of uh, Manchester <laughs> and, you know, right? They met together. The, the structure was irrelevant. What was important was that they were meeting together around the teaching of the apostles, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. That just happened to be what they were doing in the first century. And, and, you know, why were they not breaking bread at the temple? I mean, fairly obviously, maybe. Why is that? Well, yeah, I mean, well, they sometimes seem to be, sometimes not, Paul gets himself in trouble, but not everybody at the temple is part of this community. It's a, it's a different community, right? So there's some aspects where there's continuity, the temple, the, the worship, right, the, the, the Torah, the, the Old Testament is all there. Uh, but this people is unique, and, and they gather separately because they have this new identity in Christ, So the the dual, you know, meeting at the temple, meeting at their homes, really is a function of their circumstance in Jerusalem in the first century. In fact, even in Acts 20 or 21, when Paul goes back to Jerusalem, he goes back to Jerusalem and offers a sacrifice. He's still doing it. You know, this is in 56, I think it is. 56, yeah. So 25 years later, Paul is still going to the temple to make a sacrifice, right? Still sees continuity and fulfillment uh, moving from from the Old Testament people to to the New Testament people. Um, But at the same time, they met together in their homes because they are this unique people who now have seen the fulfillment of the promises and, as Acts says, those who are believing, uh, uh, who are trusting in these promises having been fulfilled in Christ. Right. So eventually the church decided to do some other things. This is a, uh, a 10th century Norman church in, I don't know, where is it? Garten on the Wolds. You gotta have, England always has cool names for their cities, you know, Garton on the Wolds. Uh, and notice they like the Norman, Normans, uh, uh, guys that came over from France and conquered England. Uh, I guess it's 11th century. They like big towers. So you got a big tower and a tiny little nave to sit in, right? Uh, you know, whatever. And you got a wall. Well, that's probably uh, Victorian. The wall's not original. But... And notice you got, you got cemetery around the church building, right? Which we don't have here. That's, you know, down the street, I guess. But, but uh, you know, that's where the church was, right, down there? Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, not too many churches, especially in urban areas today, will have cemeteries around them. Right, it's an interesting experience. And uh, for our Norwegian friends, uh, here's uh, here's an 11th century church. Notice it's it's pretty cool. Um, the The British church is made out of limestone, and the Norwegian church is made out of wood. Why? Yeah, Norway has lots of wood and not a lot of stone. England has a lot of stone and not a lot of wood. So, does it matter? Right? Well, it's Church adapts gathering together, apostles teaching, fellowship, prayer, and of course, then the apex of perfection. Say <laughs> uh, so for those of you who can't see it, St. Paul's Lutheran Church in De Pere, uh, with its I don't know, somewhat unique uh, double church thing. There you got the one church, and then you add it on, and 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 so it's uh, two sort of steeples, right? Uh, yeah, but it works, right? And and why did you do that? Because what you needed to do, and it's the best way to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Right. So again, how does, how does the church sort of manifest these characteristics generation after generation after generation uh, as the people of God? Right? So that's what I want to walk through a little bit. Any, any kind of thoughts on that or observations? I mean yeah. The breaking of
1: bread.
0: Well, we'll get we'll get to the details. I just want to talk about how. I mean, we've we've always, the church has always had to figure out what it means to be the church in a different generation, right? In the context of persecution, it looks different than a context of what we have of of religious freedom. Uh, uh, It looks different in a context where you have a government that supports the church as it did in Luther's day, right? Um, uh, So again, to not... You know, myopically, uh, you know, narrowly focus on well. Let's figure out what this word means, and that's what we got to do. But to recognize that the Spirit has uh, formed the church uh, to carry on these activities, to be these people uh, in different ways throughout the centuries, uh, uh, in different times, in different places, and in different ways, even in the Book of Acts, but even down to our own day. So, what are some of those specifics? Well, first, the apostles' teaching. And uh, uh, not insignificant, of course, that it starts with that. Uh, The first um, sermon, of course, was preached by the apostles, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Peter uh, uh, speaks the main uh, message. Uh, So not at all surprising that it's the apostles, uh, the ones who had been, as you saw in Acts chapter 1, sent out by Jesus to be witnesses of him, uh, those who had seen what he had done from the beginning, all the way to his ascension, as you remember from Acts chapter 1. So uh, who is it who would be speaking this message? It's, it's the apostles' teaching. Right? It's not somebody who, you know, heard about Jesus third hand, and now they're going to come along and, and follow this guy. Rather, it's those who heard Jesus' teaching, filled by the Spirit, and now can speak it faithfully. Right? Uh, so, the, so it's uh, 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 sort of natural and almost necessary that it's the, it's the teaching of the apostles, uh, those, those uh, 11 and then the addition 12, uh, who had seen and heard all that Jesus had done. Now, well, what is the apostles' teaching? A few things we can note uh, just from the book of Acts, really. Uh, first, this is always based on the Old Testament. As you saw in Peter's sermon from the book of Acts chapter 2 there, he quotes Joel, he quotes the Psalms. Uh, uh, Throughout the book of Acts, um, uh, the Old Testament is a foundation, is is the text, you might say, for their preaching and teaching. Again, which makes a lot of sense. Jesus did the same thing, right? Uh, His teaching constantly uh, 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 referred back to the Old Testament and described himself as the fulfillment of the promises in the Old Testament. Uh, so there's a continuity, but also a discontinuity in that it's now fulfilled, okay? Uh, of course, it's a tension that still exists today with, you know, Judaism still reads the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. We do too. We just read it with a, a, in a fulfillment sense. Um, but it's the same book, right? It's the same, same set of writings, uh, uh. But now, again, the apostles who saw and, and heard the teaching of the fulfillment now uh, speak it, uh, um, and that's what they base their faith on. The second uh, characteristic is that it's always Christ-focused. Uh, and that's a, maybe an easy thing to say, but, but it's reflected throughout, maybe uh, uh, just a couple of notes here. I guess i got them printed on my screen here. Um, Acts chapter 5, when they get in trouble with the, with the temple authorities and they tell them to stop talking about this Jesus guy and stop doing these miracles. Uh, uh, the, the quote from the, uh, from the temple leaders is, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, that is in the name of Jesus. Uh, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So uh, even the temple leaders get that the distinction between the apostles' teaching and what they were teaching is it's in the name of Jesus. That's the key distinction. It's not just we're reading the Old Testament and and coming up with some newfangled stuff. It's the Old Testament in light of the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, You see this uh, in every sermon, of course, uh, when you get through the book of Acts. In chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas in the first missionary journey. Uh, uh, when they get to Cypri- uh, yeah, Cyprus, uh, uh, Jesus is the focus, Acts 17. Uh, uh, that's uh, it's Mars Hill. Jesus is always the focus. So you might say that if it's not talking about Jesus, uh, as the foundation, as the source, as the as the end, as the goal, uh, it's not going to be apostolic teaching. Right? Uh, Luther famously, and, and probably overstatedly, said, uh, you know, Luther wasn't a big fan of the book of James because uh, uh, his opponents thought it taught works righteousness, that is, justification by works. And Luther, you know, in kind of Luther's overstated way, you know, said, ah, forget the book of James, it doesn't matter, you know, kind of stuff. Um, What he said in that context was, and again, this is a bit of an overstatement, but he says uh, um, uh, to this effect, uh, uh, I don't care if Pontius Pilate or Judas preaches it, if it preaches Christ, it's apostolic. And if Peter or John preaches it, and it's not about Christ, it's not apostolic. Now, there's, okay, it's a bit of an overstatement, right? But you get the point. uh, That apostolic teaching, if it's going to be genuinely apostolic, that is one who is sent by Christ, it will reflect a focus on Christ. Otherwise, what is it? right? Right. It's not apostolic. Uh, So this is a a huge, huge point. And again, one that's worth uh, recalling and refocusing on, uh, because we've seen well, even in Jesus' own ministry, uh, how easy it is to simply think that the goal of the Christian life is to follow the rules, right? Jesus was constantly battling against us. Uh, It's easy for us to fall into that trap. And and this is a helpful reminder that the fundamental foundation of the Christian faith is the work of Christ, what he has done for us, uh, the forgiveness that we have in him, and if you don't have that, you have nothing. right? So the, the Christ focus constantly uh, throughout the, uh, the book of Acts in, apostolic, in the apostolic teaching. Uh, third point, and this is just an observation. Uh, notice, and maybe it's a fairly obvious observation, that they don't yet have a New Testament. Uh, they don't have the Gospels written yet. They don't have the Pauline Epistles written yet. Uh, none of this is written down yet for 25, 30, 40 years they're doing just fine with the apostles' teaching. Uh, with people speaking the message based on the Old Testament about Christ and what he has done. So they were getting along just fine without without this, right? They, they didn't, didn't need it yet. Uh, that is the apostles' teaching is, if you want to draw a circle set, right? The apostles' teaching and this is where, you know, you of got to be careful, but here's Apostles' teaching, and, and, you know, here's the New Testament. It's a, it's a piece of that. Uh, the Apostles said a whole lot more than what we got written down in the, in the New Testament. But what we got written down in the New, in the New Testament is the fundamental, authoritative, normative uh, form of that teaching. Uh, and so chronologically, they got all this stuff uh, uh, for decades before they had what we now call the New Testament which actually wasn't called the New Testament until the end of the second or early third century, by the time they had a, an actual uh, word for it. Uh, but, uh, uh, of course, we don't have to have this problem because we have the New Testament, and, and we don't have the apostles around anymore. So we don't have the, the human apostles, but we have their teachings uh, written down and collected in the New Testament. Uh, fourth observation is it's not just, and I'm, I don't really like the word doctrine because I think we've overly narrowed the word doctrine, um, but Apostles' teaching is not only uh, here's what you need to know about Jesus or here's what you need to know about God. That's, that's important. Okay? But it's also uh, what does it look like to be someone who is baptized into Christ? What does it look like to be someone who lives as the people of God? So in Matthew 28, when Jesus sends out the disciples, right? Uh, uh, go, disi- go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you got to know who this guy is, who this God is. And teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Right? Everything I have commanded you. Right? So it's both and. right? Doctrine and life. Uh, Acts chapter 15, they have this big doctrinal you know conference you might say about should the Gentiles be allowed into the church without having been circumcised first big controversy for decades they decided yes it's fine the Gentiles don't need to be circumcised which is a good decision (laughs) uh, uh, because it would have replaced faith with something else but they said at the end they said okay fine Uh, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised but don't worship false gods and uh, uh, don't be sexually immoral, right? So, so, again, it always goes hand in hand. Uh, uh, the doctrine and the life, right? Um, uh, so apostles' teaching is not simply they listed doctrines, and then as long as you believe those doctrines, everything's okay, but what does it look like to live as people defined by this faith that we have in the promises that we've been given? Any kind of observations on that? We see this in the Catechism, of course, right? You see, you know, here's what the commandment means, and here's what we how we live it out. Uh, here's what baptism is, and here's how we live it out, right? Daily contrition, repentance. The old man died; the new man rise to life. So it's a both-and apostle's teaching. Uh, anything else on that? I guess maybe an obvious observation too. Uh, didache, teaching of the apostles. Teaching is singular, although that's a nice collective noun, you know, so it's not like there's a, uh, but it's singular. You didn't have Peter's teaching and James's teaching and, and John's teaching. You had the teaching, plural, of the apostles. Uh, might, maybe just a note here quick, it's the apostles, plural. It's not the teaching of Peter. I think it's intentionally not focused on a single person, it's focused on the apostles as a group. So, um, all right, good, anything else? Koinonia is, uh, is one that's a little more uh, vague and, and probably harder to, to translate. We, we saw this word several times in the book of Philippians, it shows up a lot in First Corinthians as well. Um, Fellowship is uh, one of those words that's become almost meaningless in English, right? Because is, is, is the donut hour over there called fellowship hour? Yeah. <laughs> so so fellowship is you, you, you have coffee, you have a donut, you stand around for 10 minutes, and you're done, right? Right, see, we've kind of taken the word and made it, you know, useless, right? Is, in fact, is it a fellowship hall downstairs? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, 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 so when you go in the basement, it's fellowship, but when you're in the church, it's not, right? I mean, it, so I, yeah, I'm just kind of—we've uh, made the word unhelpful. So that's why I keep saying the word koinonia, uh and, and I'm going to redefine it in a way that uh, is less uh, uh, useless. So, uh, uh, in the koinonia, notice it's a singular, but it's got a definite article in there, so it's a—it's a demonstrative. In this koinonia, it's specific. Um, So it's not sort of in hanging out together. It's in the koinonia, right? Uh, And and to kind of put some skin on it, it might be defined as a voluntary sharing of goods, uh, which you see throughout the book of Acts uh, uh, and in the Pauline epistles, Romans 15, Galatians 2, 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, chapter 4 and 5, the sharing of goods voluntarily. We see here in 44, 45. Uh, it's a li- life together, maybe is a way to translate that, that transcends just a getting together for an hour and never being in touch again for the rest of the week. Right? There is a a uh, uh, unity together in something uh, that is uh, personal corporate and uh, uh, not merely spiritual but also also physical and and tangential right um, uh, so again in, in Romans 15 uh, 1 Corinthians sixteen this is the situation uh, again 25 years later where there was uh, some pretty bad harvests for several years in the Roman Empire uh, uh Judea, which was a pretty poor province anyway, and, and uh, not very uh, fertile, especially in the south, uh, had extreme difficulty with, with uh, uh, food shortages and famine. So Paul uh, gets all these Gentile congregations uh, that had been founded you know, over the next uh, couple of decades uh, to gather funds, money together, and bring them to Jerusalem and give them to the church in Jerusalem so that they could sustain themselves and survive the famine. Uh, and when he did that, not only did he, he, he get their checkbooks, right, but he had each church send a representative to take the offering with him to Jerusalem as kind of a physical, personal connection uh, as well as just you know, transferring cash between bank accounts. So it was, a, it was a, yes, we're gonna help you out kind of with your daily needs, but we're also gonna come and help you out in other ways. And and we're going to demonstrate that we are all together in this life that we have in Christ. Uh, So Paul says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, when he describes this, 8 and 9, that your abundance to the church in Corinth, your abundance uh, supplies their lack at the present time. So you got stuff. They don't. You got more than you need. They don't have enough. And in Christ, you provide for them because we are in this together, right? Because God daily and richly provides us with all that we need to support this body and life, and sometimes he does it by one another, each other helping, helping one another out. So uh, it's, it's, it's a word that, that uh, well, I'll give you the diagram, i use this in Philippians, but it maybe helps illustrate this. All these words in Greek, koinos, uh, koinonos, koinonia, Akoinonia, oh, they all come from the same stem. And it, it, the fundamental uh, notion, the fundamental idea of a koinonia is when you have people who are participating together in a common thing, right? There is a thing in common in which they all share and which unites them to one another. And the thing that they have in common, of course, is, well, is what, what's that? The teaching of the apostles, yeah, which is Jesus, right? Uh, in Christ, we're all baptized into Christ, all connected into one body, which means we're all united not only to Him, but also to each other. All of which is a koinonia, right? So uh, 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 every aspect of their life together is is lived out in this in this unity in Christ. Now, in the first century, right, you had a famine and how do you manifest, how do you demonstrate this koinonia was by taking a collection and sending people to deliver it to the church in Jerusalem. That's how they did it for that specific instance. In, in uh, uh, Acts chapter two, uh, uh, they had some wealthy people in Jerusalem, some unwealthy people, you know, like any city, you know how that goes, right? Any urban area, uh, some people have lots of money, some people have nothing. Well, in Christ, it didn't matter. Those who had extra stuff sold some of it, gave it to those as much as they had need, right? Uh, uh, is that, I don't know, communist or something? We've <laughs> got to kind of avoid these labels. It's simply, how do you reflect the unity that we have in Christ at this situation? Now, when you get to Acts chapter 18, as I mentioned, and Paul, I'll uh, we'll actually take a, take a flip there, and uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, it's, it's almost like they forgot, you know, this whole, this whole thing. And it's a, it's a bit of a, a quick note, but, you know, after these things, having left Athens, uh, verse 1, uh, uh, Paul went into Corinth, Acts 18, verse 1. Uh, There he met a Jew named Aquila, native of Pontus, who had come from Italy with his wife uh, uh, Priscilla, uh, uh, Priscilla, on account of the ordering of Claudius for all the Jews to leave from Rome, which happened in 48. We know that this happened in 48 AD. So uh, uh, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they he stayed and worked with them. So notice what happens here. Uh, uh, you go to Corinth, and they don't have some kind of social network. Paul is working with his own hands uh, and, and doesn't ask for a handout to support himself, even though that's what they did in the book of Acts. Paul has nothing, and, and he continues to work on his own. Now we find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that he did that intentionally <laughs> uh... he refused to get paid so that people didn't think that he was doing this for the money uh... and he said i had the right for you to pay me but but i didn't do it because i don't want you to think that this is about me enriching myself so for the sake of their faith uh... and for the preaching of the gospel he refused the point being though the, the koinonia looks different at different times and in different places in this in this situation it was uh... uh uh, Aquila or Priscilla and Aquila giving Paul a job. That's what the Koinonia looked like, right? Here's a job. You're new to town. You need a hand. Here's a job, right? Um, so, so uh, uh, vast across vast distances, right? They end up in Corinth from Rome. Paul is traveling around from Athens, ends up in Corinth. They end up in this random place, and and. Immediately, they, they demonstrate this koinonia by settling, sharing a job, and then and then speaking the gospel in that place for 18 months, right? for a year and a half. Um, uh, keep in mind, you don't have, back in the first century, you don't have, uh, you know, Paul goes on Expedia.com and books a hotel room in, in uh, Corinth and, you know, charges his credit card or whatever. Uh, you show up in a town and. You've got to stay with somebody, right? Uh, and uh, uh, what do you do? You, you find somebody who is, is in Christ, right, who will demonstrate that hospitality. You see this over and over again. Uh, Paul writes the letter to the church in Rome, and at the end there he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to come to Rome, and uh, you're going to put me up. <laughs> and uh, Oh, and by the way, you're going to send me some money so I can go do my missionary work in Spain. So it's kind of a fundraising letter. Uh, but but this this uh, hospitality shown in a very basic way among the Christians, very intentionally. Uh, let me give you one example that's kind of more recent, and it's and it's easy with seminary students, right? So so a few years back, we had uh, enough guys to do a, uh, a bike racing team for a few years, and we uh, we you know it's kind of a club level sport, so we raced in the Midwest uh, region against you know Mizzou and Michigan and Michigan State and Illinois and you know, Notre Dame. And uh, one year we had a couple of really good guys, so we actually finished 10th in the conference for schools under 10,000, which we were way under 10,000. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, you know, we, we, I had no budget, we had no budget. So I'd, I'd uh, look up, you know, there's a race in Greencastle, what's the college here in Indiana, um, where a little college in Indiana is. Uh, is it DePaul? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. So I'd look up LCMS Church in DePaul, call up the pastor and say, hey, I got seven guys. Uh, can we sleep on a church basement floor? And sometimes they would we would sleep on a church basement floor. Sometimes we would just have people uh, put them up in their houses. And you know how people like sem students. You know, at least most of them. Right. Um, the only problem was if they stayed at people's houses. You know what they did? They'd have a race at like eight in the morning. And so the the. Their, their hosts would get up and bake them cinnamon rolls and sausage, and you know they come to the race all stuffed. And then, you know one guy threw up one. I'm like, you oh, know, you know, think for a second. You know, just, but they're not getting paid, so I guess you can understand. Cinnamon rolls are better than winning a bike race, I guess you'd say. But, but you know, it's it's not that hard, right? You just look up on the on the website. Here we got a congregation. Can can you put them up? Right. We did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the youth gathering often, uh, you know, churches that are on the way down to like New Orleans wherever it's going to be will, you know, let the kids uh, stay or or host uh, things. You know, traveling choirs, you know, do that here. Uh, Those kind of things. Nowadays, you just do Airbnb, right? (laughs) (laughs) But there's, you know, it's it's not just Airbnb. Of course, it's an economic model. Whereas this is, hey, you're a brother, you're a sister in Christ. Uh, uh, let's celebrate the unity that we have in Christ, and and uh, uh, I'm going to share what I have for a night, right? Maybe for a week, whatever it's going to be, All right? Uh, you know, it's it's just a challenge in our setting because we we have become such a, a a culture, a society that is so individually autonomous, and you just kind of float around as an individual and. Like I said you travel. You go to a hotel room. You, you talk to the person at the desk, and that's about it. You go to your hotel room and turn on HGTV or whatever you watch, and and uh, you know you're done. Uh, um, uh, how do we uh, demonstrate this kind of unity in our context? It's a little bit more of a challenge for us, I think. Uh, any any other observations on that? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> the, yeah uh,
1: Paul gathered money and then sent it to Jerusalem. Would you say that you know there was koinonia in the in the giving group, but didn't they have koinonia with the recipients? Absolutely. I mean don't you yeah. think this this becomes yeah. something that is uh, goes beyond borders?
0: Yes, absolutely. So uh, well I think I know what you're saying. So so both the giver and the recipient are participating in the koinonia. Yeah, in fact, Paul calls it a ministry of giving and receiving, right? I think we talked about this in Philippians, uh, that uh, uh, it's often easier to be the giver rather than the recipient because if somebody gives you something, you feel obligated to give back, right? And, and uh, uh, it's easier just to give, and then you're, you're kind of the person of the nice guy, right, who, who can feel good about it. Um, but Paul says, yeah, there's, there's something to both giving and receiving. Right? In fact, he says later on, they receive their bread or ate their bread with simple hearts. You know, uh, they just accepted that this was a gift from God, and, and it didn't mean they were worse or a lesser person uh, because they were on the receiving end. Uh, it was simply uh, a recognition that this was a gift from God. This is, this is a hard one. I mean, I, I fully admit this is a really hard one uh, uh, to, to figure out what this might look like in our, in our day and age. Uh, American congregational life, I have to say, tends to be very much Sunday morning focused, which is great, you know, definitely the worship, uh, but very difficult to reflect this um, beyond that, uh, beyond a, um, you know, a, sort of a casual level, you might say. Uh, some, some congregations are pretty good at it, some are tougher, and it really has nothing to do with size, honestly. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a tough one. Um, but, it's, it's again, it's a very consistent uh, theme throughout the book. In fact, uh, Galatians, if I remember the passage, um, Galatians 6, yeah, verse 10. Galatians 6, verse 10. You know, he's just kind of wrapping up the letter. This big discussion of justification by faith and circumcision uh, destroys that. And and, uh, uh, and then in chapter 5 and 6, he, he refocuses on, on this life together, what does, what does life together in the spirit look like? And he, he wraps up the letter, really, essentially the, the conclusion of the letter, letter. Therefore, as we have Chiron, as we have the opportune moment, as we have the opportunity, right, let us do good to all people, but especially to those of the household of faith, right? So yeah, you know, uh, 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 you know Jesus said, love your neighbor, right? Yeah, do, do good to all, but especially to those of the household of faith. Notice how he says a household of faith, you know? Household, we would define as, you know, your kids and, you know, it's kind of your household, right? Well, here, household of faith is how big? To everybody, right? Everybody baptized into Christ, you know? Uh, and in earlier in chapter 2, right, when, when he uh, went up to Jerusalem, uh, uh, met with, uh, with Peter and the other apostles, and uh, was talking about, okay, well, you know, who are we going to do the work with? He goes with Barnabas. They left off that Peter would work among the circumcised, Paul among the uncircumcised, with Barnabas. Uh, verse 10 Only that we remember the poor which very thing, this very thing, we were eager to do, to remember the poor, right? So it's just consistent throughout, it's like they almost don't even have to articulate it because it's just, you know, it's just almost a toss-off line that this is, this is what they do uh, as God's people. Uh, they, they live in this uh, fellowship together uh, which, which manifests itself in very, sometimes very mundane, everyday kind of activities. Yeah. So, um, let's see, two uh, twenty-three. Yeah, breaking of bread. Let's uh, we'll we'll keep going, but uh, I just want to figure out timing for today. Breaking of bread, and we'll, we'll at least start on this. We'll probably have to spend a little more time than just what we have today. So, uh, breaking of bread is a phrase that occurs uh, actually a lot of times. I didn't add them up here, but. But uh, Book of Acts, it occurs in Luke, um, it occurs in 1 Corinthians. Uh, The question is again, how specific or what specifically is it referring to? And uh, I think one uh, oversimplification is to say it only refers to one thing. That breaking of bread refers to the celebration of the Lord's Supper only. Or that it refers only to sort of the potluck or something, or getting together at people's houses. Uh, <clears throat> one of the, uh, 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 as it's described in the New Testament, we actually see uh, many times both going on at the same time, where you have a common meal where the church is gathered and, and having a meal together, uh, during which they also celebrate the Lord's Supper. So that the breaking of bread is both a celebration of what we call the Lord's Supper and uh, an a, a example of the koinonia that they have as the body of Christ where they share food and, and uh, uh, have that fellowship together. Um, uh, and In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll take a look at that next week, uh, Paul specifically yells at the Church of Corinth for not demonstrating unity in the meal and shaming the poor shaming those who have not in that meal. Uh, So uh, uh, again, we've sort of, uh, because of our context and the way we've structured church life, uh, we've sort of limited breaking of bread to the Lord's Supper. Uh, But in the early church, it was in the New Testament, it was this larger coming together uh, uh, for a meal uh, during which they had the Lord's Supper. Now. I should have just stopped earlier, but we'll we'll talk more about this next week. So, a good question, Bud, and email, email me first so I can give you a good answer. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll let uh, KFO step off, and I'll, if you don't mind, a couple of minutes, I'll explain my situation. And if you want to go, you can go, but I'll just just talk. So, so go in peace, uh, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you next week.